Good morning, brothers and sisters. It is good to be here again in this special service before us. If I was to uh, name one of you and say, all right, I'd like you to run around the church 20 times, what would be your first response to me? Probably a three-letter word. Why? Uh, there may be some uh, young men who would be excited for the challenge. There may be some older people who would say, not possible. But you would say, why? If somebody told me, I would, well, why do you want me to do that? What's the purpose of it? And if I was to say, well, on your way home, your car is going to let you set, and you're going to need to run X amount of miles to quickly get a hold of somebody to survive. Okay, yeah, I want to survive. Yeah, I'll do it. I need to get, in, get ready for that. There's a purpose then, and it also points back to a person because it's benefiting you. Ah, okay, yes, I do need to practice. There's something coming up that I need to get ready for. As we think about communion this morning, we have a practice that has purpose that points to a person. And this morning, I want communion, this communion service to be personal for each one of us. We're going to partake in communion as a brotherhood. It's a group, a family coming together to participate, but yet it needs to be on an individual basis as well. And I want us to think about that this morning. Is communion for you this morning personal? Or is it just a group activity that we're participating in? Communion is a practice with a purpose that points to a person. And a person who wants a personal relationship with each one of us. Yes, there's many of us gathered here this morning. But Jesus wants a personal relationship with each of us. And what we're going to commemorate here this morning is to remind us of what Jesus has done for us. When did the first communion take place? I would like us to take a step back as we think about communion happening this morning. And I'm going to be kind of running through some verses in Luke 22. I'm going to be diverting from 1 Peter this morning. Luke 22. And to give us a little illustration of what it might have looked like on that last supper, First Communion night, I need some helpers this morning. You don't need to say anything. All you need to do is sit. So first of all, I would like seven young men. So Spencer, why don't you come up? Shane and Trevor, come on front. Kyrie, Tanner. Come on front. Uh, Stewart, come on front. Yes. And take a seat on the bench up here. How many we got? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. Great. And I also need some older guys to join me. Derek, Joseph, come on front. Shane, picking on guys as I see him. Randy, come and join your son. 
You can have a seat on one of the chairs. It's going to be a little tight here. I want to move over a little bit. I need two more. Uh, Demetrius, come on front. And Nate. Yeah, don't fall off the edge. So if I counted right, I think we have 13 young men up front. Maybe this gives us a little glimpse into what the Last Supper looks like. As we think about the Last Supper, do we know anything about the order that they were in? Let me preface that first. So our idea of the Last Supper is sometimes from pictures of sitting around a table. However, tradition was that they were often lounging on the floor or short chairs. I have them up on chairs so we can see their faces a little bit. It wasn't gathered around a table. It was more in a semicircle, probably similar to this. Do we know anything about the order that they were sitting in? Was it oldest to youngest? Does the Bible say that? <laughs> Maybe. We don't know. Good. Any others? John was sitting beside Jesus, okay? Because it says he leaned on him. Right. Judas was probably also beside Jesus because Jesus dipped the bread in the sop and handed it to Ju Judas. So obviously Judas was close to Jesus, okay? Anything else? Possibly also is we get a little sight into where Peter was. It says that Jesus went to wash their feet, and what? He came to Peter. So it alludes to the fact that Peter was possibly at the end. Now, let's go back and add a little tradition in, in the story as well. It was common for every feast or supper like this to have a sponsor, a host, and a servant. So therefore, who is the sponsor? Jesus. The host is probably John. Because he said, he said to John and Peter, he said, go into the city, you're going to see a man, he's going to be carrying a pitcher, which that was unique in of itself because normally the ladies carried the pitcher. So obviously they were going to connect with this man to connect with the upper room. So John, therefore, is the host, okay, which would be in Nate's spot. Probably sitting beside him then was Jesus, which would be where Derek is sitting, and that means if Jesus sat there on the other side would have been Judas. And we get around to the end, and Peter is at the end because that is where the servant sits. Okay, so look at this little background. Now going to Judas, why was Judas sitting beside Jesus? It was also common for the guest of honor to be placed next to the sponsor. So Judas was in a place of honor that night. Wow. What do you think was going through the disciples' heads 
as they sat at this feast. This last Passover. They're gathered around. Jesus has called this feast together. They're eating. They're enjoying this time together in close communion. They eat the lamb, which was common for the Passover feast. Do you think Jesus even ate the lamb that night? Knowing that he was about to become the lamb. What do you think was going through Jesus' mind as he went around and he got to Judas' feet? And he went to wash his feet. The person who was going to betray him in a couple hours. He goes around the end and we get to Peter and he goes to wash his feet. And maybe this gives us a little insight into why Peter reacted the way he did. He was the servant supposed to be washing their feet. And here Jesus comes and is doing the job for him. So he gets to Peter and Peter's like, no, uh, you're not going to wash my feet. And he reacts. Could be possible with his position. And as we look back to this last supper, the disciples gathered around. This was Jesus' climax of teaching. He incorporated so many senses. They were eating. They were talking, fellowshipping. They were listening to what Jesus was saying, incorporating all the five senses. And when that happens, there is an emotional connection. And as Jesus was leading out in that supper, the disciples were given a glimpse into what Jesus wanted them to do. To commemorate him. I give this illustration to just preface. If we can kind of just try to get a glimpse into what it might have looked like on that last supper. Thank you, gentlemen. You can head back to your seats. That was a little illustration to get our minds thinking about the Last Supper. And this morning, I want our attention to be focused on the person of Jesus. This is what, this is where Jesus set in place the practice and the tradition that he wanted his disciples to carry on to remember him. And Luke 22 outlines that story. We saw... We read how Jesus sent Peter and John to prepare. They gather there in the upper room. And in that upper room, Jesus draws his disciples in into the climax of his teaching. And it also was tradition for the Passover. They would start by the meal by drinking their first juice, wine, and then they would read some scriptures. And then they would go to the next segment of the Passover where, again, they would uh, take some bitter herbs to remind them of what they were delivered from in the Passover, the pain they were delivered from. And then they would uh, often recite another, some more scripture as well. And there was different times where they would drink the wine or the juice before them. And I think it gets to the end 
And Jesus said, he gets the bread and the cup, and he says, disciples, we're here for the Passover. Oh, by the way, what does he say when they get together to eat? In verse 15 in Luke 22, it's with desire. I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. Because I'm not going to be with you anymore until the kingdom is fulfilled. Jesus was so glad to be with his core group, those who had stuck with him. They get to the end, and he brings out, or takes another bread and juice, and he says, disciples, I want you to eat this bread, and when you do, this is symbolic of my body. What I did for you, I don't know if the disciples got it or not, but they ate. Then he moves on to the juice, and he says, disciples, this is, my, this is symbolic of my blood that I'm going to give for you. And I want you to do this to remember me. And that night, when there was a close emotional connection among the disciples, Jesus instituted this practice. And I said, communion is a practice. And in a little bit, we're going to take the juice and the bread. And it's supposed to remind us of what Jesus has done for us. It's a practice. But a practice without a purpose is useless. There's a purpose behind this practice that we're about to participate in. And Jesus says it after he gives both the cup and the bread. He says, this do in remembrance of me. There's a purpose in this, brothers and sisters, and it's to remember what Jesus has done for us. Do we make that connection, or is it just a, another practice that we participate in? And when we connect it with what Jesus has done for us, that puts us in our spot. And this points to the, the attitude that we're supposed to come into this. In 1 Corinthians 11, it says you're not supposed to take unworthily part of the communion. I think it's also referring to don't do it in an unworthy manner. To really make that connection between the practice and the purpose of communion. We need to come with open hands. Come being vulnerable. Come seeking to let Jesus speak. The practice of communion is carried out in a group setting. But the goal is to point us to the person of Christ. We're going to do this together. But it is our job to make it personal. And it's not even a job, it is our gifting to make it personal. As we take that bread and the juice, what has Jesus done for me? What has Jesus done for you? That's when it be can become real and alive. Back to this Last Supper, the disciples were gathered here. Jesus gives them this, and he says, hey, somebody, one of you is going to be betray me. And it's interesting looking at the different uh, Gospels at how they portray that incident, incident. But after that, if you're with me in Luke 22, I would like to talk about some tendencies. We have a practice that has a purpose. And the disciples revealed a tendency that is going to be our tendency as humans. 
And in verse 22, the disciples start arguing about who's the greatest. In this moment when Jesus was trying to show them, it's about me, not about you, they start arguing. And I don't know if it was because of where, how they were sitting or where they were sitting. Jesus says, don't do that. The kings, the Gentiles, they're the ones who try to exercise authority. But that's not how it should be with you. You're supposed to be a servant. Brothers and sisters, our tendency is to try to put levels, put ourselves on levels. That's not what Jesus calls us to. That's what the disciples tried to do. But he says, no, you're supposed to be a servant. As we participate in this practice, think about us being servants, especially to one another and to God. Secondly, another tendency, when the idea was brought out that Judas was beside Jesus in a position of honor, that hit me. Jesus was still giving Judas a chance. You think Judas, after following Jesus for all those years, would have not been given a second chance. But Jesus continued to pull Judas back to himself. Brothers and sisters, maybe this is a time where we are being drawn to Jesus to say we have a second chance. There's still hope. Nobody is beyond hope. That's where Judas was. Jesus wanted him to change his mind, to change his trajectory, but he chose to continue on with his wicked plans. We still have a chance. Could we be on the brink of disaster like Judas? And when we come this morning, thinking about what Jesus has done for us, take that opportunity to say, God, I'm yours. We see Judas's tendency. We see the tendency to argue about who is the greatest. Another tendency. In Luke 22, 31, uh, Peter start, or Jesus starts talking to Peter about how Peter was going to deny him. I prayed that you would stay strong. And they argue back and forth. Peter says, no, I'm not going to deny you. Yes, you are, Peter. After the cock crows, you're going to deny me three times. And then verse 35, he addresses his attention to all the disciples. And he says, hey, disciples, when I sent you without purse and scrip and shoes, did you lack anything? In other words, when you were with me, did you lack anything? No. They didn't. Everywhere they went, people were feeding them, taking care of them. They lacked nothing. Jesus says, but now, he that hath a purse, let him take it. And likewise his script. And he that hath no sword, let him sell his garment and buy one. Jesus was saying that it's not going to be easy anymore. The path forward was going to take effort. Get ready for it. That's the attitude he wanted his disciples to come away from commemorating him. And they respond in verse 38. And they say, hey, here's two swords. We don't got just one, we got two. Their focus was on the earthly. That's our tendency, is to focus on the earthly. But as we walk away from commemorating Jesus and what he has done for us, can we focus on the heavenly? Can we take our purse, 
our scrip and our sword. Maybe I need to study into what those things mean today. But as we come away, take those things and say, this is what Jesus has done for us. I remember him. I am nothing without him. I'm a servant for him. And go away ready to fight. Not with material things, as the disciples thought with their sword, but a focus on the heavenly. Brothers and sisters, as we participate in this practice before us, remember there's a purpose behind it that points to the person. And to, and to end here, I want us to focus on the person. And I didn't know how to bring our focus to the person. So we're going to try to incorporate some different senses this morning. We're going to go back and read a passage of scripture to bring our focus to the person this morning. And then we're going to sing a song as well. And as we enter this time, I want us to remember that this practice has a purpose. And we need to make it personal so we can point our attention to the per person that this is all about. This person, Jesus, who gave everything for you and me. And it should bring us to tears as we think about that. Turn with me to Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53. I'm not going to make comments on this passage. I think I referred to this passage last communion that I shared. But it is so rich. And as we read, as you, as you read, as you listen along, may we get a glimpse of this person who gave everything for you and for me. Isaiah 53. Who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of a dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness. And when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. We hid as if it were our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who shall declare his generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living, for the transgression of my people was he stricken. He made his grave with the wicked, and with the rich his death. Because he had done no violence, neither was there any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. 
When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see of the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. That's the person we are remembering this morning. Let's make it personal. As we participate in this practice, see the purpose and connect with the person. Because out of this, because of him, because of what he has done on the cross, the power of the cross, we're going to sing in a bit. I hope that we can get a glimpse of the person. And that can give us the, the idea, the attitude to go forward with our purse, our script, and our sword in confidence of what Jesus has done for us. Why don't we all stand, and we are going to sing The Power of the Cross. I recited it last communion, and I think we can sing it together. And as we sing, think about the person of Jesus and what he did on the cross. The Power of the Cross. Oh, to see the dawn of the darkest day, Christ on the road to Calvary, tried by sinful men, torn and beaten then, nailed to a cross of wood. This the power.
be seated. Heavenly Father, thank you for what you have done for us. And now as we participate in this practice, may we see the purpose. And may our eyes be pointed to the person. And through this time, my prayer is that each of us could make it personal as we remember what you did for us and leave here ready to take our purse and our sword and our script and go pass on what you did for us. We commit this time to you. In Jesus' name, amen.